Welcome to Beyond Distribution with GTDC. Today's episode was recorded live at our 21st annual North America Summit, which we held in San Diego on February 8th. This session was titled, A View from the Top, and it was a conversation with the leadership from the largest distributors in the world on their thoughts of what lies ahead for the IT industry and distribution. During the session, you will hear from Paul Bay, CEO of Ingram Micro, Rich Hume, CEO of TD Cinex, Sean Cairns, CEO of Aero Electronics, and Dan Schwab, President of DNH. Enjoy the episode. Okay, so if you've been paying attention, which I hope you all have, you've kind of seen the progression today that we've, we've kind of had. We obviously had um, you know, a great presentation from Crawford uh, and IDC regarding sort of their view on the IT marketplace and the growth. And then Doug came up and he talked about, you know, GDP and the drivers and what's happening, you know, and from an overall economic standpoint. I personally don't believe we should ever have an event without listening to some end users <laughs> who are actually buying everything that the rest of us are trying to sell uh, and bring to market. And so that piece of it, you know, from my standpoint, uh, was really important. And then, of course, the last thing, which um, is uh, equally important, is I think it's really important that you hear from the leaders of our uh, distributors. And uh, so I would like to invite my panel up, and uh, we're going to spend a few minutes listening, and I call it uh, a view from the top. So come on up. John? We have to get the picture right here, yeah, so you're sitting over there. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, we got a, it's a little bit of a challenge deciding who sits where. I guess we follow this. The other reason I... The other reason are we I, the last session of a full morning? You are. You are. You are. Everybody's about, dying to go eat. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I like this session because I get to show my high school picture. Uh, all right. Anyway, so, okay. Um, so we've heard a lot today, right? And there's been a lot to digest, a lot of information. So, Sean, let me start with you. Um, and we'll start at a macro level, right? Yep. So, you know, obviously there's been significant <clears throat> discussion regarding inflation, recession, global unrest, et cetera. You know, how does all this play into how you think about, you know, 2023, plan for it, and, and certainly beyond? Well, you know, Frank, we're spending a lot of time on this topic uh, as we speak. In fact, we've got a board meeting next week. and. We still haven't finalized our, you know, the 2023 plan that we want to show them. And I joke because I think, you know, as you know, we typically don't guide beyond the next 90 days. We reported earnings last week. And even if we did guide for a full year, this would be a really tough year in which to do it. I think right. there's just far too much uncertainty in the world. I think there's way too many variables playing out. Um, you've heard about all the macro challenges. You know, I would just say, you know, we don't know when interest rate increases subside. Uh, supply chains have not fully normalized, and God knows I spent a lot of time studying our semiconductor business to get out in front of this, but yep. they haven't fully normalized yet. Uh, Post-pandemic spending patterns uh, are still changing, and I think we're all trying to figure those out. So no surprise that I think we're in for a slower growth environment on average. Um, and I think the big question is, are we in for a moderate decline or something you know, sharper and longer lasting. I happen to be a little bit of an optimist uh, when you, you know, you consider that question, but I think, you know, the truth is we gotta be prepared for both. Yeah. 
Um, I think years like this are a great opportunity to get your house in order, be clear about your growth priorities, find ways to continue to invest in them. Ultimately, you, you want to emerge, you know, I think, stronger from a year like this than you, know, than you entered it. Yeah. And I would say, you know, I tell my team all the time, all we can do is focus on the things that are within our control. Yeah. And certainly the macro economy is not one of them. Yeah, well, it's interesting because obviously all of your, or many of your suppliers have been making lots of announcements recently. Yes. With, you know, reductions in workforce, et cetera, and that kind of changes the, the thought process a, a bit. And we all think about that. We're all trying to thread a, a, a really small needle. Yeah. Um, I, by the way, I don't happen to think that this is going to be too long lasting, but yeah. time will tell. Yeah. Um, you mentioned supply chain. So, Rich, um, I know supply chain, you know, Issues impacted us throughout, you know, 2022 for sure. Um, kind of in your view, and, and it seems like in some areas it's dissipated, and other areas it's kind of continuing. In your view, what's what's happening with supply chain, and what are you kind of looking at as we move forward? Yeah, uh, thanks, Frank, and thanks for having me on the panel. Just very quickly, if we think about the the cycle of COVID, obviously there's a big work from home demand on the front end. At the same time, the project-based deployments for infrastructure, data center type equipment sort of abate. The cloud stuff is, is strong through that, that period of time. Um, and then if you follow sort of that cycle, I think on the back end here, from a supply chain perspective, what we see is that for the most part, the PC ecosystem is fully recovered. And, at, and, and when you think about the data center sort of category, uh, storage, infrastructure, et cetera, uh, there still is elevated backlog. My speculation, uh, nothing better than that, just kind of understanding what we're hearing from the vendor population, et cetera, and, and then what we're hearing from the customer set is that we should likely see stability in the data center infrastructure supply chain probably by the mid of this year. There'll be some outliers, but for the most part, I think that the way we think about it is that the serviceability across the supply chain is largely at pre-COVID levels when we hit the mid of this year. Mm. Yeah, um, and it's, it's kind of interesting because the, the big dichotomy in the uh, data that Crawford shows, you can kind of see that. You can kind of see the, you know, the forecast that the endpoint solutions Will, will clearly not grow, you know, and de be declining, whereas some of the other, uh, you know, items are still going to show some hopefully reasonably good growth. Dan, staying with supply chain uh, for another question, clearly the distributors, you know, didn't have a lot of control over what was happening, right? And I would argue, you know, as, as much as possible were part of the s solution versus being part of the problem uh, that we dealt with with supply chain. But you obviously managed through the process and you kind of had to manage through it well. What were some of the lessons you know, learned from you know, 2022? Well, I think when, when product became available, we tried leading in to the best of our ability to make sure we had that buffer stock, which I think this whole just-in-time model was starting to get away from. Um, but I think the biggest learning I found for ourselves and our vendors and our partners, I think permeates today and made us better going in the future, which is, Basically, you had supplier, distributor, reseller, and user, right, or MSP. And what, what occurred during COVID was we all opened our books and said, what could we each do better together? So a good example is recently, right? You've got the freight inflation, you've got wage inflation, 
Uh, you've got the cost of capital going up. So did it make sense for us to ship you know, 10,000 units to a partner for them to do integrations, only to ship it back to pretty much close to where it came from in our DC, right? You wasted two weeks of cost of capital, you've got an extra freight bill. So both, everyone kind of realized, what could we all do better to streamline, and, and that hasn't abated, right? The, the cost of running business, all of our costs have gone up. We run low SG&A, but our costs have gone up. So we figured out how to run smarter businesses together, and we believe a lot of our MSP, our partners, have relied on us more for integrations and services, uh, we figured out how to drop ship when it made sense to take to skinny up the supply chain. So I think even though this new just the just-in-time model is never gonna go back the way it was, because I think vendors are looking for diversification of supply chains, I think we got smarter uh, from end to end of how we deliver technology, solutions, services uh, because of COVID. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Paul, moving on to 2023 and some of the opportunities, there was some discussion earlier you know, about sort of the, um, the trend toward everything as a service and subscription models. And obviously Russ, you know, talked about why that matters for his business. And, but we also know that with each supplier implementing their plan and their version of the plan, there's a lot of work that needs to get done and there's a lot of challenges. H how is that progressing? And how do you think over time, the lessons learned with some of the individual, you know, uh, suppliers will be able to, you guys will be able to apply them, you know, across the board. Yeah, so well, you heard it directly from Russ as an end user, and if you look at it, the momentum is definitely there, and the desire is there more than it's ever been. But if I had to use one word, it would be complexity. Yeah. So the complexity we still have to deal with, and you look at a solution, an average solution may make up, I don't know, half a dozen or more, which could be hardware, it could be software, it could be IaaS, a cloud delivery, just the complexity that comes from all the different vendor solutions. And then you wrap on top of that, the services aspects. So I would say it's not just everything as a service, but it's also service as the service too, because our solution providers that are calling on the Russes of the world need to be able to put their IP on top of it. You just heard it from the panel. They wanna be able to have those people help educate them. And we heard it loud and clear, if we didn't hear it from everybody up here, which was we have to free up our investments to be able to go reinvest. So it's not just about ripping out the old and putting in the new, it's about stopping the stuff that's not giving productivity and driving it on the other side. So I think the complexity of it, um, again, and is it per use, is it per drip, is it you know the drink, whatever it's going to be mm -hmm. monthly, the subscription for us, and the complexity behind to put that together when you have a multi-vendor solution and or service on top of that, creates a lot of complexity for our solution providers to make that seamless out to the end user ultimately. And I would say furthermore on top of that, Russ also touched on it too, if you go from, you're talking about the CapEx, OpEx model, is the financing aspects of it. And the opportunity we have as a distribution channel to help offset and help those solution providers pivot to that model too. Because we always talk about, you go deploy and you sell, what is it, 10, 50, $100,000, whatever deployment, you get paid 30, 60, 90, you hope, and then now you're pivoting to a monthly subscription and being able to help fund that as you're getting. We always talk about it's great to talk to a solution provider that's put 40, 50% of their business, they wake up January 1, they talk about how we got this recurring revenue into the system, but everybody forgets about how hard that is to pivot and make mm -hmm. that transition yeah. also. I actually think that's a vastly underrated aspect of this transition. Um, I lived it for a couple of years on the solution provider side, and the cash flow implications are immense if it's not managed properly. And that's one of the things that obviously, you know, distributors, and. You know, we can talk about old school concepts all you want, but the bank 
part of the bank and warehouse matters. <laughs> and the, the ability to help finance that, I think, is a big deal, right? So, good. Um, so, Sean, I know that you, know, you and your teams um, have ongoing dialogues with customers, right? And what are you hearing from the solution providers? Because that is the one group that we really didn't have you know, represented uh, here. But of course, you guys talk to them all the time. They're your customers. What are they saying? We do. We do. And I would say in general, if I think about just the, the whole IT landscape, at least the pieces of it in which we participate, I would say it's a fairly mixed bag. You know, we've already talked about the fact that supply chains have been a problem. Yeah. I think most of us have bigger backlogs than we normally would. Um, I think, I hope Rich is right, but I think the headwinds associated with the you know, slower PC market um, have impacted all of us. And even though we don't participate directly in that market segment, last time I checked, you know, big PC deployments, upgrades, et cetera, they also come with, you know, data center sure. infrastructure and software to help manage right. uh, those deployments. So we pay close att attention to that as well. One of the biggest things we hear from, you know, our channel partners, especially those that have you know, good enterprise exposure is that this could be a year that you can expect to see CIO sweat um, IT assets a little bit longer than they normally would. Yep. Um, and so we're paying close attention to that as well. We're doing some of that ourselves, so I know it happens to be true. Um, but the flip side of that is, I think, ultimately positive. Even as we navigate through this year, look, the supply chain problems will improve. You know, that will give us back backlog relief in the current year. I'm sure we can all uh, benefit from that. I think customers are by and large finding a way to navigate their most important growth priorities and that almost always includes digital mm -hmm. in some form which is something most of us have a chance to uh, to participate in. I think now that we find ourselves living in this highly virtual world I think lots of customers are reevaluating uh, their risk profiles and their security landscapes and that means you know more cybersecurity pipeline for us all. And then I think, you know, Paul covered it well, but this, this whole transition to IT as a service uh, is creating a huge opportunity for us uh, because things like cloud and, and as a service, as Paul said, are absolutely anything but simple. Mm -hmm. I mean, totally. absolutely anything but simple. So there are tens of thousands of channel partners, you know, throughout the world, all trying to figure out how to navigate this, um, which is a great opportunity for us to go help them do it and in turn, I think, demonstrate a whole lot of value to not just them, but all the suppliers that are trying to get to, you know, this market for consumption-based IT. Yeah, and, and, in a, and it's, it's a perfect example of the evolution of the services and support and work that you guys do and what you, what you provide into the marketplace. And it's different now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it'll be different five years from now, right? Because it'll be based on the evolving technology and the requirements, right? Um, you know, I remember, calling on all of you, maybe with the exception of you, Rich, because you were on my side with me for a while. But I remember calling on these three guys, and we never didn't have a conversation about ease of doing business, mm -hmm. ease of doing business. And my theory was you never solve ease of doing business, because tomorrow you announce something new, and it becomes complicated again. So if you fix the other one, and Paul, you'd holler at me about human putty and the fact that it, things that we were doing as a supplier <laughs> required that, right? Um, and that's a big deal. Right? And we're continuing to kind of work on that. So, Rich, one of the things that, um, you know, I, I read an uh, article that you did in CRN uh, not long ago, and 
Uh, you talked about you know the year and what had happened in your views, but one of the things you did talk about, which we saw a little bit of today, is your viewpoint on um, how GDP growth impacts you know sort of what is happening. IT spend. Yeah, yeah. IT spend. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, know. so uh, Crawford set this up well. If you yeah. take Crawford's chart and look at the 15-year average, IT spend has outgrown GDP growth by 3.1 points. And I think there was only one point on that chart, 2008 from memory, where uh, IT spend was below. So, you know, as we think about the macro of the business and, you know, what, what is the likely outcome from growth, it's important first to think about that concept. And as Crawford has stated, right now, because of the digital era, there's no, no reason to think that, that that curve is going to change or invert. So, you know, he's confident, and I think that history would demonstrate that, you know, likely IT will be a couple of points above GDP, and that's really important. Now, you know, the nuance is what content are you concentrated in or not with your portfolio? Right. Is your portfolio sort of represent the totality of IT, um, you know, such that you can get comfortable that, hey, I should be sort of in this zip code from a growth perspective, you know, moving forward. And then, you know, the, the last piece and the obvious piece is that there are things within the overall growth that are growing faster than the market, and we know them well. Um, cloud, IoT analytics, cybersecurity, hyperscale infrastructure, um, thinking about really getting behind in the slower economy. Um, as Sean was saying earlier, these, these big growth areas provide a better opportunity to you know, have a successful outcome, or I should say the best outcome in a slow market uh, overall. So we're, when we came through COVID, it was our best guide relative to what we think was going to happen from an overall demand standpoint. Mm. And you know, we had these great consultants in that say, you know, here's what we think is going to happen, but really relying upon your people and relying upon sort of these North Star type metrics in terms of what's happening with overall GDP have served us well. You know, you guys make it sound so easy. It's kind of <laughs> like, yeah, okay, the GDP number is this, so this is going to be our number. And you go into the board and you have that conversation, and everybody buys off on it, and, and it's all good, right? Problem is, a lot of your people are sitting in the room, and they're going to probably try the same on, on you. And yeah, <laughs> remember, remember, I said this is a good litmus test. Ah, right? okay. I mean, it's always the bottoms up that uh, sort of prevails relative to what the teams believe they can yeah. get done. It is interesting, though, when you look at the data and you look at kind of the, the, the progression, it does, it does seem to get down to some pretty basic, you know, concepts, right? Yeah. Um, but there's always, you know, there's always stuff that happens, you know, like pandemics happen, you know, the supply chain stuff happens. And I guess the ability to react to that also becomes really important in, in you know, having a workforce in an organization that's agile and capable of doing that, you know, really makes sense. So Dan, we're two years past the pandemic. Um, you know, it, it, I don't know about you guys, but it seems like it's a, it was a long time ago. Right. Um, you know, but uh, what changes, you know, have you seen, you know, from that? And what's the, like, a new normal to you? And what do you see, you know, from a going forth standpoint? Well, I, I think when you think about what ha occurred during the pandemic, pandemic, it was work from anywhere, learn from anywhere. So 
all these devices went out there, everyone was focused on that, and it became ingrained that, that digital and, and having technology in our hands was more relevant than ever. No one's gonna ever go backwards there, and I think it's even more important going forward. So we still look at this as the golden age, that there's so many opportunities, but the opportunity has shifted to uh, helping organizations migrate to this hybrid world. Because when we're all remote and we're all on WebEx or in Teams, we're great. But now that you've got an office and you've got eight people in the office and six people remote, it's much more challenging. Mm. So we see this macro uh, effect, especially in SMB and the, the mid-market, of upgrades going to the infrastructure, the back office. Uh, collaboration is exploding. Only 10% of conference rooms have collaboration, so video conferencing. We all got smarter, so whether it's uh, virtual desktop, uh, working with um, how to deploy products more effectively, whether it's Microsoft Autopilot or Google Zero Touch, all these technologies have created these opportunities uh, to really help our partners. And clearly, probably the one horizontal thread that affects every business, regardless of size, is security. So all four of us have had to lean in there, and we continue to do so because that's the one thing. A CIO could say, I don't have any more budget, but when it comes to cybersecurity, I don't have any budget because it's whatever it takes, because that's the one thing that puts you out of business. So our learnings from it was really helping our partners migrate to some of those advanced technologies. If they didn't have a book of business, we'll fly people out and train them on pro-AV and collaboration. Uh, we migrate and help partners become MSPs, uh, give them the tools to do the access and integrate and maintain the environments. So that's really where I think distributors have really stood up and leverage our capabilities to help our partners evolve their businesses so that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter unless they're really adding that immense value to their end users. And I, I think that's been a great, great, uh, aggressive evolution. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. Um, so Paul, there's been a lot of discussion about technology and the evolution of technology and you know the role distribution plays in supporting that and, and working with that. I thought Crawford's comments regarding AI really hit home in, in terms of <laughs> it's coming and it's gonna be a game changer. What, how do you see you know, your ability to um, help with that? In other words, what, what are some of the things that you're doing to, to you know, provide your customers with insight into, one, what's coming, and two, how to deal with it, right? Yeah, it's, so the good news is the strategies we're all building are tying off to what the experts are saying, too. So yeah. data, I look at, is gonna be the new currency on a go-forward basis. Yep. So as you've said, you know, we've been doing business together a long time, we've known each other for a long time, and the pivot everybody's having to make, what value was before five, six, seven, one year ago, is gonna be different in the future. And so that's where we've been investing significantly is, because that data and really getting those insights is really gonna be what's valuable to, again, back to the solution provider, go have a different conversation with the Russes of the world to say, here's where you can free this up and here's where the opportunity is to invest. And that becomes that trusted advisor, truly the trusted advisor, as opposed to here's the new speed feed, whatever it is, plug it in and away it goes. So it goes back to some of those complexity things that we've had uh, and the challenges we have. And I think we need to operationalize more of that as an industry. And I use that word specifically and not say standardize, mm -hmm. because standardization is not what it's gonna be. And I think we tried to do some of that early on as a, as an industry with cloud and what that looked like. It's about how do we operationalize it better to still give that flexibility. And I think ultimately the industry and the way we look at it and uh, what I talked to our team about is how do we go from transacting the business 
to interacting in the business. Yep. And so ultimately, if our solution providers, and we can do that and help them be better at that, they can go have a different conversation about how they're not just transacting, but they're really interacting with that end user. And I think that flows all the way back to us. So yeah. I think it's the new opportunity and the real opportunity for us as an industry. And, and distribution, I think, can play the biggest role in that opportunity because of all the inputs and the billions of shipments and inputs that we get on a global basis. So we get line of sight to that. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, you know, there's, where I was in a meeting yesterday, I forget, somebody said, you know, they were tired of, the term ecosystem was kind of becoming overused, <clears throat> right? Um, and now what's gonna happen is the orchestration, you know, the term orchestrator will become overused, but I don't think it can be, because I don't yeah. think it can be, um, I don't think it can be understated, right? In other words, I think it's so critical and I think people have now begun to realize that, and it's and it's sort of, you guys have been doing it for years, <laughs> but yet we haven't really been able to articulate it in the way that, that we are now, and it's become clear. And part of it is because of the complexity and because of all the players in the ecosystem. They depend on it, so. Well, I don't like to do this uh, on these panels, but I'm gonna do it. Um, <laughs> I, I like to ask individual questions. He, he didn't warn us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but what I will do is I'm going to kind of ask you all kind of the same question, and obviously it'll build a little bit. And, but, you know, you've got the vendor community, which, you know, as I've said before, they're our primary constituency. And so we do this for the vendor community. You know, you and your teams connect with them, not that you need us necessarily to do it because you connect with them anyway. But what would the message be to the vendors in the room, you know, in terms of what you need from them? Right? In other words, what are the things that you are either getting from them that you want to continue or things maybe that you're not getting that you'd like to get? And so, Sean, you're nodding, so you're going to go first because <laughs> you've got, I can tell you've got the answer. Well, you did, you did give us a warning, fair I, enough. I did. So I did, I did give us some thought. So, I did. You know, I feel a little bit funny in that I think most of our uh, supplier friends here in the room today are at the very least intrigued by you know, the role of distribution in building their business, if not already committed. So yeah. this is a little bit like preaching to the choir, but, you know, I've got sort of a simple ask that, you know, I think we can, we can help you with. Um, and that is uh, be as open-minded as possible to the, the full economic value prop of the role of distribution in your businesses. And what I mean by that is far too often the role of distribution gets sort of defined simply as the, the gross margin portion of the buy-sell transaction that is otherwise known as the DISTI tax, right? At least that becomes the perception from, you know, so many of, of your sellers. Um, and we know what that noise is like. We live our whole lives trying to sell around it and beyond it. Um, but I think it's a very, very, very narrow view, right? It does not do justice at all to, you know, the, the back office OPEX that you avoid in support of a gazillion transactions, right? It does not do justice to the front office OPEX and go to market investments that you otherwise don't have to make in support of the incremental customer, or the incremental sales opportunity, or even whole segments of the market or territories that you choose not to manage uh, yourselves. It does not do justice to, you know, the working capital and inventory carrying costs that you save by relying on our warehousing and logistics and fulfillment capabilities. It does not do justice to the risk uh, that we manage on your behalf because billions in dollars, billions of dollars in AR sit on, you know, our books and not yours. And I'm sure you get the, the idea. I could go on uh, with many more examples. Look, we get it. 
uh, one part of the conversation is this is ultimately a CFO sale. And so we're asking you, help us help you elevate this conversation within your companies, help us get to the people that ultimately will have a lot more influence over you know, turning loose uh, the value of distribution in your businesses, and we will do everything we can to support you uh, in that conversation. Yeah. I agree. I mean, state another way, get us a seat at the table with the influencers within your company. Furthermore, kind of tapping on to where I think the real opportunity for us too is get us in early. So when you're having the technology conversations as a company of what's coming and where it's going to go, we can help enable that when it's ready to go to market. That can be services. What's the thing we always talk about in this industry? There's not enough brain trust and we skill set challenges. We're all having that at a certain extent. If we're in early in the conversation, we can train up. You've got billions of dollars sitting here across the world, hundreds of billions of dollars across the world that we can build out competencies and skill sets to help that traction uh, get to market. So give us a conversation earlier in before it comes. And a lot of times I think we become that kind of afterthought of, okay, here's it is, here's the program, here's the technology go plug it into the rest of the solutions. And reality is we probably could have helped guide earlier on to make it happen much more quickly because gaining that scale and traction is one of the hardest things we have in this industry that I think people get frustrated with. I think they're spot on. I think even being a bit prescriptive that when you, these in the room, forget the CFO for a second, but when you're looking at your businesses, um, involve us early in the conversations from the tactical strategies you're trying to deploy. So what that means is if you're going to go after the long tail, don't go hire 40 people to be in a call center to go after that, right? Leverage some of our resources. Each of us cover different markets differently. We have immense capabilities and we have scale. So we're in this world, especially today when you're, you're juggling this CapEx uh, versus OpEx, it's a wonderful time to, for us to understand what your goals are. Like, how are you being measured? What's important to you? And then how can we align our organizations to help you complement those goals? I think a lot of times it's, it's, it's dropped on us. Hey, we have this new program, this new plan. Here you go, go execute it. And, and we, you know, we've seen this, right? We've, we've seen other people in trial and error, so we can share best practices. Uh, we're in it together. We want nothing but for you to be successful. And we'll admit, where well, we can't do something, we, we, would, we would push it back on you. But there's times where we can save your capital and save cycles by leveraging some of our uh, experiences in the past. Yeah, I'm going to uh, come at it from a, a different vector because these guys have covered that, uh, you know, that, that main point uh, pretty thoroughly. So we know that the consumption models are changing. We talked about as a service being critical. When we look at the winners that the folks who really get traction really quickly as they make transitions to those new consumption models, there's two ingredients. The first is we don't spend six months debating a contract, but rather get the contract terms really, really quickly. Um, and then the second is the vendors who are incredibly thoughtful about the enablement of that new consumption model and making sure that the offering that they're bringing forth for that new consumption model is aligned with easy market sort of deployment and consumption are the winners. Mm -hmm. And so you have to challenge your product teams, you have to challenge your organization to really stay focused. The, the worst case outcomes many times are trying to take an existing licensed product and then give it the terms and conditions of a consumption product. Mm. It doesn't work. So really kind of focus with this shift that's going on in the market towards that. While I stay on this as a service um, idea, I want to also say that 
the relationships and the way we interact are changing as well. So typically, from my point of view, distribution has very much been a country up build. But now we all have these cloud platforms, and they're global cloud platforms. And so someone who's interested to deploy a, a as-a-service sort of offering, they tie the API into our global cloud platforms, and then it gets deployed in 100 countries. So now the engagement with the vendors have changed a bit from the country up to, mm -hmm. hey, let's get together at the top globally. Let's talk about the offering. Let's talk about what we have to offer. Let's talk about you deploying it to 100 countries. And then make sure that you build the business plan bottoms up, because we still have to have accountability for execution in, in the country. So for those of you who are sort of moving towards that shift, you got to make sure that the, the, the global engagement skills back with the business partner ecosystem are aligned to accomplish that, as opposed to trying to stay with your historical model of country up. Uh, and the, those that are having very, very large scale uh, as a service models throughout the world have already made that transition. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, look, um, this has been great. I, I would tell you that there's one other thing that I would say from, a ven from the standpoint of having had a seat at the vendor table for a long time, and that is to really understand the services and the capabilities that the companies that these four gentlemen run, what they can do. Um, and, and I say that, and you'd say, you'd think, well, that's pretty obvious. Well, it really isn't, because it's evolving almost like every day. And so you gotta understand that the last thing these guys wanna hear, the last thing they wanna hear, or any of the teams is, gee, I didn't know you did that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, you know, particularly you all in this room, because many of you are the disty leads for you know either globally or for North America, and you gotta know. And so that would be the piece I would, I would put in there, is you really gotta understand what the capabilities are, spend the time, come to the events, come to, you know, every one of, you know, you all have your own individual events. Um, we try to not compete or overlap with any of that, but come to the event, spend the time, and really understand what's happening and what capabilities exist, and if you, don't see it and you think we need it, ask for it. And if it doesn't exist, they'll probably build it, <laughs> you know, at least initially. So with that, look, I really want to wrap up the day. Um, we're off to lunch here. Uh, I really appreciate everybody's time and attendance. This has been, from my standpoint, uh, you know, we've only done two. <laughs> of course, I've participated in many over the years. But the fact that everybody's still in the room, the fact that everybody's still engaged, everybody's still participating, has been really, really helpful to us and refreshing. So thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for your time. This is great.